I first learned of Philadelphia's rail park during the spring of 2017 while making my film Negotiating with Nature. The rail park then was in its developing stage with people forming a vision for the park, raising money, and introducing the idea of a three-mile-long city park to the citizens of Philadelphia. It was then that I met Michael Garden, an organizer for the Friends of the Rail Park and who now serves on its board. It was during one of the walking tours that Michael had organized that he shared with me what made the future park so special and how they hoped to bring nature and culture into the city. For me and for everyone that visits the site for the first time, it's a very, very powerful experience. You have a sense of nature in one of the roughest former industrial sections very close to Center City, if not the most. So it's a very raw kind of neighborhood still right now. And then you have this wild green space in the middle of it. It's a powerful experience. And then when you are up on some of the sections of the viaduct and you're looking about the city, you're seeing the city in an entirely new way. You're inspired by the greenery that's around you. You're elevated. The park site runs through the city like a river. It curves, it angles. It's not on the grid as the rest of the city. So the way the city looks to you and the views that you have are, are constantly changing and fresh and new. And we are uh, talking about having phase one be sort of a, a loggia or a mall through which when you're traversing through that quarter mile space that the city will reveal itself as a gallery and there will be changing artworks on uh, the sides of buildings, on public sites at street level, maybe on uh, commercial or, or industrial sites. And so it's a way of engaging this natural experience with a cultural experience and an urban experience all at once. That was 2017. So when I heard this summer that they had opened phase one of the park, I was excited to contact the rail park and ask if they would share with us how the vision of the rail park was being realized and how the project was progressing. That is when I met Rebecca Chan, who joins me on this edition of Nature Revisited to talk about the development of the rail park and how it is moving forward. My name is Stefan Van Norden, and this is Nature Revisited. Let's get the first question kind of out of the way. The rail park has been, and I'm sure it will always will be, probably compared to the High Line in New York City. What are some of the similarities of the two? And more importantly, how do they differ in their concepts and mission? Sure. And so I, I should just preface this by saying that my organization, Friends of the Rail Park, is part of this network that is known as the Highline Network. And so that network was formed to support and facilitate knowledge sharing and to kind of really think about how can we make sure that these are um, projects that not only come to life and are, are completed and learning from each other along the way, but are also including kind of these ideas and ideals of public space in their missions and visions. 
So we are very much good friends and admire the Highline and the work that they're doing up in New York City. In concept, at least, the rail park is longer, whereas the Highline is entirely elevated. The rail park has both sections that are, you know, elevated, but as well as sections that are below grade but open to the sky, and then other sections that are completely underground. So it's really wild to think about actually starting your, your rail park journey underground and then eventually ending up, you know, almost two stories in the air three miles later. So that's really exciting to think about. As far as mission, I think we have the luxury of learning from the Highline and our other peers in the network. Philadelphia is a very different city from New York. Our communities are different. Our ecology is different. Um, I'd also just say that the market forces that are operating in Philadelphia are very different from those of New York City. Um, and what the, the kind of tools that we're going to need to finance a project like this are, are, are going to be different. But I think more kind of philosophically, the question is, how can we create a space that's uniquely Philadelphian and reflects the 10 neighborhoods that the park, the rail park at least um, touches? It reflects the 50 city blocks that it's going to cut through. And how can we really position the park as a platform for kind of neighborhood um, expression, both culturally and creatively, et cetera? So what are the origins of this project? How did it really get started what are some of the triumphs and setbacks that you've seen along the way? So I kind of stand on the shoulders of a whole cast and crew of very dedicated people that brought this project to life. But the way this, this kind of lore of the rail park has been told to me is that it was actually the formation of two volunteer advocacy groups more than 15 years ago at this point. The groups are known as Viaduct Green and the Rail Park, and these two groups kind of married each other and became friends of the Rail Park in 2013. From there, uh, this, this kind of coalition of partners had numerous meetings with not only the city of Philadelphia, but also um, city and neighborhood stakeholders. And these meetings formed the design of phase one, um, but also, again, kind of created the advocacy it takes to push a project like this along. I would say a big milestone um, was an investment from the William Penn Foundation that enabled Friends of Rail Park to add professional staff in about 2018. And this was a total game changer for the project. Having, you know, a staffed organization that can actually go out and advocate for the project and also just make sure that the complete part of the park is connecting back to the neighborhoods in which it is, you know, located. And then I would just say... I would be remiss to not be shouting out the Center City District Foundation because they really, you know, in these early stages of the project, were building the technical capacity of not only fundraising, but also managing design and construction to bring the project to life. So phase one of the rail park, again, that quarter mile stretch opened in 2018, and it was almost immediately activated <laughs> through free events, um, workshops focused on arts and culture, nature, wellness. Um, and as far as setbacks and challenges, you know, of course, the last year and a half, you know, living through a pandemic, uh, this kind of economic roller coaster that we're, we're all on, and, you know, what I consider to be, you know, my generation's kind of civil rights and social justice awakening, you know, of our, of our lifetime, probably, that's, that's a lot to consider in terms of public space as management and, and stewardship and how we're factoring in these recent events into our, our kind of path forward. So um, we have a lot of work to do. But I'm, you know, I'm ultimately really optimistic for the future. I think parks and public space are very much in the public imagination right now. And so I think it's a great time to be working on a project of this scale and the potential benefits it has for Philadelphia. Places like the rail park show that people can make a difference. I mean, you talk about how this project started on a very grassroots and 
with a few people who are determined and look where it is now and look where it's going. So there again, that's the other reason I like to share these with a, a larger audience is that we want to make people out there realize that they can make a difference. Let's go back just a little bit. Can you talk about the history of the railroad that this is on, how important that railroad was to the city, and how does the rail park honor that railroad? So the, the actual, the physical infrastructure that we're, we're looking at with the rail park has its origins with the Reading Railroad, which was commissioned in 1833. And the, the kind of original purpose of that was to connect the coal-rich regions of eastern Pennsylvania to metropolitan Philadelphia. The railroad eventually also carried passengers to and from the Reading Terminal Market, which is located not very far away from phase one of the rail park. Philadelphia became the home to a unique network of industries that supported each other and propelled the local economy. In particular, the area around phase one of the rail park in Philadelphia was historically known as the workshop of the world. So this included you know, textiles, clothing, shoes, hats, metal, tools, machine parts, so we have kind of the Pennsylvania and Reading Railroad controlling the actual tracks and kind of building up that infrastructure. But it's also notable to just mention that the Baldwin Locomotive Works, which was founded by Matthias Baldwin, was also located in this area as well. So this included, and this is like a little bit, if you're familiar with Philadelphia, a little bit um, west of phase one of the rail park. But this was a pretty expansive campus, actually, the, the Baldwin Locomotive Works. At its peak, the Baldwin Locomotive Works was producing thousands and thousands of these trains every year. The western side of the rail park, thinking about the area that is closest to uh, the art museum, um, kind of the museum district in Philadelphia, this is where the, the rail park actually goes underground. The interesting story behind that is that that was actually connected to the City Beautiful movement as it was happening in Philadelphia. And so at the time, the city itself was advocating to actually kind of improve and enhance their aesthetic environments and to improve their urban landscapes. The city was uh, trying to relocate these kind of larger scale um, manufacturers, but also to take these kind of transit lines like the Pennsylvania and Reading Railroads and to bury it underground. So that resulted in Philadelphia's kind of, you know, big, big project, um, which was the burying of the train lines, um, which is now the, the section of the rail park that we call the tunnel. I would say as far as how we are trying to incorporate this history into um, the rail park itself today, as far as the design of phase one, many of the kind of remaining industrial structures on the park have been uh, either preserved or incorporated into the physical design of the park itself. And then if you actually look around the, the rail park itself, a lot of the um, historic buildings have been also transformed. There again, a lot of people don't really know Philadelphia who are going to listen to this, but try to give an idea of where the the rail park is now and how it goes through the city and how will one have access to this? So it stretches from a neighborhood known as Northern Liberties on the east side of Center City, Philadelphia. Um, and then it kind of bisects Center City, paralleling the Vine Street Expressway, and then arcs western and kind of a little bit northern up through the art museum and kind of Fairmount neighborhoods ending in Brewery Town. The first phase of the rail park, which was completed in 2018, is a quarter mile stretch that is located right in between the Chinatown North neighborhoods and uh, Callow Hill neighborhoods of Philadelphia. It's right off of Broad Street, um, which is actually where you can access phase one, is at uh, Broad and Noble. That's where the, the rail park starts at its uh, street level entrance. And then it, the eastern entrance to the park is on Callow Hill Street between 11th and 12th Street via a stairwell. 
I always begin when I give public tours by saying that the, the rail park is really a, a lesson in kind of looking down, looking up and looking around and taking all these different historic clues to understand not only the potential of the space, but also how beautiful it is in its current state. You know, as you're walking down Pennsylvania Avenue, which is flanked by some of Philadelphia's major cultural institutions, there's a, a large median that runs down the center of Pennsylvania Avenue. There are these grates. If you were to look down into those grates, that is the rail park. That is the tunnel. If you were to be walking on Cello Hill Street, again, kind of in the section that we refer to the cut, if you were to just kind of look over into what looks like basically like an overgrown meadow, that is also the rail park. That's, that's the cut. If you're, you're walking down Broad, which is one of the busiest kind of north-south thoroughfare streets in Philadelphia, just take a quick turn onto Noble Street. You're on the hustle and bustle of Broad Street, and then you turn the corner and kind of follow this gravel path. And then the more you walk down this path of the constructed phase one part of the park, the more kind of enveloped in nature you are. And in that sense, I think it's such a, a kind of hidden gem in Philadelphia. And it really functions as kind of this urban oasis, if you will. As I mentioned before, the design of phase one restores and maintains much of the existing kind of steel structure that was in place when this was an active viaduct that held and, and moved trains. We've introduced uh, a number of native plants and trees and bushes to the park as well, which gave it that kind of lush and, and almost over, I would dare say, overgrown feeling. But I, I kind of like that aesthetic and how um, almost wild the park feels, especially at this time of year when everything's like really in, in kind of full bloom and, and full capacity out there. I think kind of the iconic part of phase one is if you walk to the eastern end of the park, there are these large swing structures that, again, are kind of homage to the industrial kind of character and, and history of the park, um, but also introduce this kind of sense of almost like levity, being able to swing as an adult on like a, a very large swing. There's a lot of elements to the park. I encourage people to also go at various times of the day as well. The mornings and evenings are really, really special out there, and I think a really great way to take in Philadelphia. How do you hope the rail park will affect the fabric of Philadelphia? I think one of our big goals when you're talking about a, a park is thinking about the potential for connectivity. Again, three miles, 50 city blocks, 10 different neighborhoods. The concept of being able to walk from end to end of the rail park and never be interrupted by a car, is that's such an alluring <laughs> and amazing idea to me. But we also think about things like improving the environment in Philadelphia. A really interesting um, study that we had conducted about just phase one of the rail park is that that phase of the rail park reduces the, the heat island effect of not only the, the park itself, but the surrounding blocks by about three degrees Fahrenheit. And so I just think about the potential, again, it's three miles, 50 city blocks, 10 neighborhoods. But how are we really telling the stories of these different neighborhoods and how that can be reflected in public space? How are we doing that through the design of the rail park itself? And I just really, I really hope that as we, you know, continue to plan for the future phases of the park, that we are able to incorporate kind of this community voice and community story into um, these physical designs as well. How important is it to urban populations that they have access to natural surroundings such as the rail park? Again, I, I point to phase one and I think about that is directly like a heavily industrial area of Philadelphia, and we still feel those impacts today. This is an area of the city that I, has some, I think it has something like 4% tree cover. There's just not a lot of greenery in that part of Philadelphia. And so having 
this space like the rail park where you can actually be in nature, I think it's it's so, so important for kind of the, the mental health benefits, the physical health benefits, you know, just physically being able to be in a, in a space and to, you know, exercise if you want to or just sit and meditate. That's so important. But also just space for community connection that doesn't require spending money. I think that's really, really important. And then, of course, all the other kind of environmental benefits of, you know, reducing emissions, the, you know, the whole temperature thing. There are just so many benefits to these green spaces in, in urban settings. Let's talk about the design a little bit. Who was involved in the, in the design and the horticultural part of it? And are you using native plants for your plantings? So we are very proud to have worked with Studio Brian Haynes and Urban Engineers for the design of Phase 1. They have done such a beautiful job. As far as the plantings, this is one of the reasons why it's great to work with a landscape architect. Uh, Studio Haynes was very intentional about incorporating over a thousand native plants at Phase 1, many of which you can find just spontaneously growing on areas of the, the viaduct and the cut that I had mentioned before. So kind of mirroring what we're seeing happening, again, kind of spontaneously happening in other parts of the rail park, but having that happen on Phase 1, I think, is just such a neat, neat element. I would just add, we did have a couple challenges around soil depth constraints, kind of limited in, in terms of the, the kind of woodier shrubs and trees that we can have out on the park, but we, we do have a number of them. They're all native as well. And the other neat thing, too, is remember, because this is an elevated structure, and I'd mentioned a little bit before about how all the kind of climate extremes are more extreme when you're elevated, it's also been just amazing to see, even within the native plantings, what is more resilient in those, those settings. Pastors are doing really well, and then others, um, some of the other native plantings out there, we need to give a little more love just to make sure that they, they will still be with us next season. But I think that's one of the, the things, at least on the kind of horticultural side, that really attracts people to the, the rail park. You mentioned earlier about you saw some of the areas on the on the rail park that looked a little wild. Is that wildness an important part of the design going forward for the rail park? Yeah, and I would say that it really incorporated that into even phase one, that sense of, you know, if you were to walk up on the unconstructed part of the viaduct or perhaps in the, the cut, um, you get the sense of almost walking through a forest and then kind of coming out onto like a wild or overgrown meadow. That, that kind of concept and feeling was incorporated into phase one designs as well. So that's very intentional. You know, I was speaking earlier about really understanding community kind of vision and voice and incorporating that into future phases of the park. You know, on the one hand, I'm like, yes, we should absolutely do more native plantings on future phases. But I also want to just make sure that we are very much in conversation with the neighborhoods that are adjacent to these spaces to understand kind of what they want to see reflected in the horticulture of future phases as well that one of our kind of primary, you know, neighborhoods, the kind of population that we, we work with a lot on phase one is Chinatown through a particular program that we offer called Elder Hour. It's become really interesting to see how they interact with the different horticulture and foliage out on the park. You know, horticulture, yes, is very much a natural element. It's also cultural. And so how are we kind of incorporating these various visions into future phases? And if we really want to be thinking about community stewardship, does that mean that we need to incorporate I don't know, like a more like diasporic garden or a dye garden or, you know, just different types of horticulture onto future phases. The good news is we have, you know, three miles of park to work with. So there's, there's plenty of space to do yeah. lots of experimental stuff. And I noticed that, you know, already you have a lot of public events that you plan for the real park. What are, what are some of the, the public events that you have already planned and how do you see that going 
forward into the, the rest of the park? Phase one of the rail park is managed and operated by Philadelphia's Parks and Recreation Department. So we are kind of beholden to any permitting, any regulations that the city of Philadelphia kind of places on the, the park system, not to mention the rail park. So prior to the pandemic, our signature events were these kind of like blowout uh, Lunar New Year Festival was just kind of like the signature rail park event. We'd have like the lion dancers and, you know, families. It was just like amazing. So we we really kind of retooled our strategy to think about how can we, you know, have perhaps smaller scale socially distanced events on the park, but make sure that there's also a digital presence and that if you only feel, you know, you're only able to sign on from, from home or from, you know, wherever feels safe to you, that you are still able to participate in the rail park. And then over the summer, we've been having what is known as a summer sunset series. And with kind of the, the lifting of some of these restrictions and people feeling a little safe with the vaccine rolling out and everything, we really focused on health and wellness. So every summer series opens with either a, a meditation or a breathing exercise or yoga. And then we launch into a more cultural event. So we've had um, Korean drummers out there. We've had a few different dance troops. We've had panel discussions. We're really trying to test out what what works in this new landscape and what people feel comfortable coming to. And then I think the big kind of events that we're, we're planning for at the moment are we're really, you know, thinking about how do the events that we as Friends of the Rail Park, how does that roll into the design of future phases of the park? And so what we've launched is this thing called a, a rail park time capsule, which is basically a story mapping project that highlights what Philadelphians love about their neighborhoods and what their their hopes and dreams are for the rail park itself. So we've built a whole menu of different kind of at-home and in-person activities uh, designed to get this this kind of input and feedback and, and kind of memory collection and story collection. And then we're compiling all of that into publicly accessible, basically a digital archive that will then influence future phases of the park. The rail park is a parks and rec space. So there are numerous community partners that also work with my organization, Friends of the Rail Park, to put on their, and the city, of course, of Philadelphia, to put on their own events. So we've partnered, there's several different art installations, the, the kind of opening and main event, but then you can kind of experience on your own whenever you feel safe that are happening. People are, are really excited to be outside right now and, and kind of utilizing the public spaces that we do have. Um, what I will say, because I know you have a lot of people who are maybe not in Philadelphia or you know able to visit the rail park anytime soon, but maybe you're still interested in the project. Um, if you go to our website, we have a podcast that talks a lot more about the sights and sounds and um, different ways to experience through audio tours the rail park. And those are those are explicitly designed to be accessible both at home or to guide you through the park itself. Parks and public spaces are cultural objects, right? They're not neutral. And so there's also been um, tension in the past to with community. Um, so I, I would not say it's been a completely smooth ride, but we are, we are doing our best, again, to connect, especially phase one, um, back to the neighborhoods in which it's situated. When do you hope to open phase two? And, and how long do you think the whole project will take? Yeah, so we are, you know, again, on the heels of the pandemic, that changed a lot of plans for the park, right? And the kind of the interest and proclivity for different stakeholders to come to the table to see the park built. And so we are actually conducting a cost estimate and feasibility study, looking at the full three-mile vision of the park to understand with geographic specificity, where should phase two even be? And so once we have that information, that's when I feel like the clock starts on kind of the countdown to phase two. Again, these projects take a really long time. Yeah. 
I would say between two and three years for the next phase. It's really challenging to develop yeah. three miles apart. You know, thinking about all yeah. the different stakeholders. I've been rattling on about, you know, 10 neighborhoods and 50 city blocks. I mean, think about all the people you need to get on board to, to um, get a project like that going. But um, again, I'm confident. I also think that's perhaps the silver lining of the last year and a half that we've all lived through is that people want these projects. They want to see green spaces reintroduced to cities. I also think we are operating under a new administration. I think it's actually a really, really exciting time to be planning for these projects. The Sounds of the Rail Park, which you already mentioned a little bit. What is the Sounds of the Rail Park and how people can tune into that? Sounds of the Rail Park is a podcast slash audio guide that explores the sights, sounds, and spaces of the rail park. It's available to stream on all major platforms, probably most easily accessible on our website, which is therailpark.org. And the episodes include everything from just a tour of phase one to a guided meditation, interviews with community members. We've tried to make our episodes as accessible as possible, so they're available in English, Spanish, and Mandarin. And the really exciting thing is that in a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing more in-depth interviews and kind of focused episodes on each section of the rail park. So again, going back to the, the cut, the tunnel, the viaduct, and of course, revisiting phase one. And so I think those are going to be really a really nice complement to the more kind of thematic and programmatic episodes that we've, we've already released. Oh, that's great, because that gives my listeners the chance to go and actually hear and see what it is you're talking about. I would just say, too, they're, they're all, they're quite short, our episodes. We try to keep them under half an hour just so, um, you know, you could literally walk the park and use them as your guide. So my last question, you mentioned that you are, your organization that you work for are involved in other projects that are similar to this. Can you just briefly share what are some of the other cities that are doing similar projects? Oh, man, there are so many. There's obviously the High Line. There's the 11th Street Bridge Project in Washington, D.C., the River Line in Buffalo, New York. There's the Trinity Park Conservancy in Houston, Texas. I'm also thinking about um, the 606, also known as the Bullingdale Trail in Chicago. There's a project in Austin, Texas. What I love is that these projects aren't just happening in large urban areas. There's just this variety of, of different like city sizes and scales and infrastructures they're working with. There are projects like these not only all over the United States, but increasingly all over the world, too. Quite a diversity of to check out. Any final thoughts? Thank you for having, having me on today, and, and thank you for thinking of the rail park. Yeah, if anyone needs to reach me, I'm at Rebecca at therailpark.org and happy to answer questions and talk more about the rail park. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Deborah Chan. And when you are in Philadelphia, that you visit the rail park. And I hope you will share Nature Revisited with friends, family, and colleagues. And subscribe to Nature Revisited on your favorite podcast server. You can also follow us on Instagram, YouTube, or our website, NordenProductions.com. That's Norden, N-O-O-R-D-E-N Productions.com. If you would like to share your thoughts or comments, please send them to us through our website contact page, and we will share them on our Instagram page. Nature Revisited is produced by Stefan Van Orden 
and Charles Gagan. And I hope you will join us for the next edition of Nature Revisited. And in the meantime, remember, we are nature.